get my toes. Well, it is indeed an honor and a privilege to be able to spend time with each of you to worship together. Um, guess this is maybe my fourth time this year um, to preach. Sorry for y'all, you know. Guess that means our pastor's not a very bright person. You can't find somebody else better to, to preach. But uh, it wouldn't be so difficult if he actually wasn't a good preacher. But he is a great pastor and a great preacher as well. You know, there's two different things, being a pastor and being a preacher. This is, believe it or not, this is the easiest part, is getting up here and talking as the Lord leads you, but the whole pastoring Monday through Friday and Saturday and all that is very difficult, and I know he covets your prayers. Uh, it is a job way above my, my pay grade. Um, let me, let's play a little game, if you don't mind. Um, it's called It's Your Call Game. Okay, so I want to know how you, this is a participatory part of the message, so I would like to hear a few responses, uh, hopefully uh, they'll be good ones, no, they'll be fine, so, but I want to know how you would respond in these scenarios, now some of them could maybe be based upon true life experiences uh, that I've experienced, uh, some of them might not be, so number one is, is what would you do, how would you respond if someone kept getting your name wrong all the time when you would meet this person they would call you some random name how would you respond to that like <laughs> that's messed up that was my son-in-law who, who whose name is Keith but for the longest time I called him Kevin just because I think as a father-in-law it's your responsibility to give grief to the son-in-law because he actually is married your daughter, you know, there's nobody ever good enough, but yes, like that, Keith, like that, so what would you do, I tell you what he did, he took it, never said a word, he just kind of chuckled it off, and I wrote it for a long time too, so, uh, but he took it, what would you do, somebody just kept calling you the wrong name, put a name tag on it, Y'all, I had a young, a young guy, he had a learning disability, and for some reason, he thought my name was Dave. And so he would be, he, was, he went to another church, and, and every time I would see him out and about, he would, hey, Dave, how you doing? And I just didn't have the heart to tell him, dude, that's not my name. Um, and so finally, this rocked on maybe two years or so, and, and I was with, happened to connect I was with his youth pastor when he called me Dave, and, and, and the guy goes, who are you calling Dave? His name's Bobby, and the, the poor guy felt so terrible. I probably didn't handle that one the right way. Number two, someone cutting in front of you while you're in line. How do you respond? Huh? Hey, we're about to see how many of us are really walking with Jesus, right? Real quick. The altars are already open, you know, feel free to, if you want to confess anything, so uh, how would you respond? Caleb and I were in line at one of my favorite restaurants, Four Rivers Barbecue, who has, go, you want to go get some ribs, and we were just standing there talking, I mean, we were next in line, I mean, the guy fixing the food was right there, and we were here, and this little girl walks in with her headphones on, and she just walks right in front of us, 
Didn't even know we were there. And I was looking at Caleb. And I'm like, well, what do you do? And he looked at me. And then she really turns around and she looks at us and turns back, never said a word. So we just, obviously she didn't realize what she had did. So we let her go with that. Number three, uh, talking with someone who has really bad breath or body odor. How do you respond to that? <laughs> what now? Step back. And, you know, sometimes that could be really obvious. Whoa, you know, I mean, you know, hey, you go a week on a mission trip or camp with kids, and there are some that have not learned the art of bathing with soap. So, um, all right, what about this one? When you wave at someone but then realize they're not who you think they are. How do you respond to that, play that one off? And be honest, truthfully, this one probably happens to me more times than not. Um, or when you wave or speak to someone who you think is speaking or waving at you, but they really aren't. Man, I get burnt on this one every time at Barbaritos because I, for some reason, I guess I think I know everybody, you know what I mean? And they're waving and I'm waving and it's, they're like, who is this? They're waving to somebody behind me or something like that. Or, uh, when someone... This is obviously hasn't ever happened to me. When someone cuts you off uh, or is driving way too slow because they're messing with their cell phones. Now, hey, hopefully that's not happening anymore because, you know, we got the new law. But uh, you honk your horn, yeah. You know, and then you realize, you know, you cut them off, you know, and you've got the Dawson Street sticker on the back of your car, you know. <laughs> you know? That's why when I wish I had a bumper sticker, it says, follow me to First Baptist, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> No, I'm joking. I'm really joking. Or, uh, or you're stopped or stuck at a red light, maybe Dawson Street, on Dawson Street, and no one's coming and no one's looking. How do you respond? Man, y'all, Dawson Street lights kill you. You know, they will test your patience. Well, you know, it's interesting. We have many opportunities to respond in many different ways to many different things. Um, and as followers of Christ, or people that encounter God, we have an opportunity to respond to Him. Let me read a passage, two passages of Scripture to you, and we'll see how maybe you would respond. John three sixteen, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His, only, His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. And look at our condition when God did this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing what the world considers important, bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. How do you respond? How do you respond to a love that's so encompassing, so engulfing, so amazing, and knowing you don't deserve it at all? That even on your best day, at your best moment, when you think you're, you're on point in your life, 
you still fall terribly short of deserving the love that God has given to you freely, extravagantly. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, we should respond like Jesus said when, they try, when the Pharisees tried to trip him up and ask him what the greatest commandment. Of all the 613, which is what many believe, are in the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, the, all the commands. Uh, he says the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. And I believe living in fear of the Lord is loving God and then, second, loving what God loves and how God loves. And that's what I want us to spend a few moments this morning, if you would be willing to walk with me to really look at what does it really mean to love God? What does that look like? How do we love God? Well, I think, first of all, we love God by believing in his love. It's incredible, right? Can anybody explain it? Can anybody mentally ascend to understand completely the love of God? Absolutely not. No one can. And that's why Ephesians, even though he tells us, encourages Paul, says to try to understand it, he says we never will. In, in verse 18, he says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to, fully, to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. See, we are simply first should believe that God does love us. It takes an element of faith, does it not? Because, see, we're in our world today, in the physical world, we get what we deserve, right? That's what we strive for. I'm going to get what I deserve. Well, I'm thankful I don't always get what I deserve because a lot of what I deserve is, is not probably good stuff because I do silly things and, and say things I ought not to say. But we try to mentally understand God, and even though we should always seek to understand, and every day, you know, I've been a Christian almost 30 years now, and still... Every day, I'm understanding a different level of God's love. Today is a special day for me because my mom's here. Now, my mom, it's, it's, it's been a long time since she's been able to come and visit us. Matter of fact, my two grandsons have never met her before. But I've, I've learned a new dimension of God's love because they wanted to go to the airport to pick her up. And so... We all jump in the car, and we go, and, and one of them wants to wear a Texas shirt because Grammy would love that because we're, we're from Texas, you know? See, I mean, it's funny. God gives grandchildren the ability to kind of suck up but not suck up, you know what I mean? They know where their, their bread is buttered, you know? And so he said, Papa, I think Grammy's going to like this shirt. He's never met her before. And so we're sitting there, our plane's a little bit late, and when they know it has just arrived, what do they do? They walk to the very closest part that they can get to to wait for someone they've never met before because they know they ought to love her because that's their papa's mom. And so she walks out the door and they hug her and love on her and kiss her. And it's like, man, this God's showing me another dimension of his love. 
You can never out-love God. God has always given you enough love to love in that situation who he wants you to love and how he wants you to love him. We should believe in the love that God has for us and then focus on that love, not the world and all of the things that come in the world. The world is busy. The world is hectic. The world is kind of mean if you want to know the truth. You know, it seems like everything in the world kind of wants to stomp you out or put you down. And we can often focus on that. But in Matthew, he tells us that God will bless us when we literally hunger and thirst for his love. We will be satisfied. He tells us in Matthew 13 that we should seek after it like a treasure hidden in a field. That when we find that treasure, we go and sell everything we have so that we can buy that field. Or the pearl of great price that when the merchant... Uh, found it, he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy it. We should focus on his love. Proverbs 24 says, Proverbs 24, verse 25 says it like this. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. We should believe in the love of God, but then to focus on that love. Of, wow, whether I deserve it or not, which I don't, God loves me. And begin to understand and to study the depth and the power of his love. See, it takes effort. It takes sacrifice. And in some ways, it involves, it involves some level of discomfort. You're going to have to give something up. I'm going to have to give something up in order to focus on the thing. I'm going to have to be willing to let go of my problem. Because, see, truthfully, in and of myself, the person I love the most is who? me. I, I mean, you know, I'm not going, and when I look at that mirror, I'm not worried about what somebody else looks like. I'm worried about what I look like. And you know what? I was a grown man, and I picked out my own clothes last night, but then I asked my wife to double check, <laughs> lest I make a mistake. So, but I mean, we worry about ourselves. We can tend to focus on our problems and our issues, and it takes an effort to put those things aside. That's why Paul was saying, listen, I know what it's like to deal with the pressures of the world. He says, we almost are crushed or pressed down, but yet for the sake of spreading the gospel of loving God and loving his creation, we forget about all those things. We consider them a momentary affliction compared to sharing the love of God. It involves some level of discomfort. But then when we, we believe that love, we focus on that love, we need to live in that love. We need to abide in it. And you know, Peter gets a bad rap because on the Mount of Transfiguration, he sees Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And what's the first thing he says? This is awesome. Let's pitch a tent. And Jesus tells him, we can't do that. And so we're thinking, man, Peter was sidetracked. But what I really believe is, is he was like, this is an incredible moment. And I want to live in that moment. Let's stay here for a while. Let's, I mean, how incredible would that be to see the prophets of old and see Jesus there and to hear what God would say. We need to be in that moment and to live in it. Better is, Psalms 84 says like this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. See, I believe that I was, had the blessing to have, I had a, incredible grandparents. I had awesome parents. You know, one has gone on to be with the Lord. One is still here today. I've got awesome step-parents that, that have been nothing but a blessing to me. And I have been blessed with incredible grandparents in my life. And I believe that for me as a young child and, and even as an adult, I had a little bit of heaven 
here on earth. You know, a place where I felt secure, where I felt safe, and I dare say the place that I have felt the most loved, and that was at my grandparents' house. My granny, and my, I called him Grand Grand, he was six foot four and just a big man, and my grandmother was five foot nothing, and so she was granny and Grand Grand, and, uh, and that was my place. They lived in a, on an acre and a quarter. They had a little uh, double wide that they, that they, um, that they lived in, my grandfather retired as a, uh, as, a, as a store manager of a grocery store and uh, worked for Winn-Dixie and Safeway. And, and the, head, the big people up in there uh, mishandled all the retirement and wound up losing all of his retirement. So they lived very modest. He, uh, but that's where I learned how to work with wood. That's where I learned how to take and bend, you know, straight back nails on a piece of railroad tie. He actually, he actually took and, and tore down a... a, a abandoned lumber yard. For, they said, you can have whatever you want. And out of that, he built a complete roof over that mobile home, and he built a huge shop where he could put his truck in, his little boat in, and, and the car in. He built all of that out of old galvanized metal and old wood. And so a couple summers, what I'd do is, I, I, my job would be is to straighten nails. You know, straighten them. And they better be straight. Because I had to do it again. He had patience of Job. And that was my place where I felt safe and I wanted to be there. And I never really put it all together until one day my wife said, you know what, you're a totally different person here. It seems like when you walk onto that little porch, all the cares of the world go away. And, and it wasn't because my mom didn't love me. She loves me incredibly or my dad didn't love me. But there's something about grandparent love that you don't have to worry about all. I know that now because I am one. But there's something about grandparents. You don't have to worry about teaching them all that. You do automatically, but you don't have the stress of all that. All you got to do is just love them. It's just love them. And that's where I felt safe. And that's where I wanted to spend my time. And, and so I look forward to it. Uh, when my grandfather died of, of cancer, uh, right at, when I was 17, I promised my grandmother that I would do everything I could to take care of her. And there's sometimes she'd call me and say, my car won't start. I said, I'll be down there tomorrow. She said, what would you like for dessert? I said, blackberry cobbler. <laughs> and so I'd go down there and I'd mow the grass and I'd work on the house and I'd fix the car and I'd enjoy some incredible blackberry cobbler. And, and I would do anything for her. Why? Because that's the place that I, I wanted to give back that love that I so freely got. We, we need to live there. And that's... That's the thing that's hard with the world today is there's so much going on and we're so busy with our cell phones and social media and all the troubles of this world that we forget that we are called and commanded by God to abide in his love. Because apart from abiding with him, we can't do anything. And so we need to live there. And then once we really begin to live there, we need to make a commitment to never let go of that love. You know, you see that in the story of Ruth with Naomi. You know, Naomi had tried to send her back home because her husband had died. Go back to, your, to your, your family where they can care for you. And she says so beautifully in Ruth chapter 1, she replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That once we really believe in that love and we start holding on to that love and living there and, and taking our residence up there, then we're never ever going to want to let it go. 
We're never going to let it go. And we should have the heart's desire to say, hey, God, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Where you say to go, I'm going to go. When, when you choose to quit living, which you never will, then I'm, I don't have anything else to live for. And that's what the disciples' heart were when Jesus spoke those harsh words. And he says, are you going to, and so many people left him. He says, are you going to leave too? And I love what they said. Where are we going to go? You have the very words of life. That, God, where, where can I go? Because at my core, I need to be loved. I need to be valued. I need to know that I matter, that, you, that I'm seen, that I, I, I'm more than just a blob, you know, in this incredible great universe, and I want to stay there. But then as we do that, then we should be loving what he loves. And what does he love more than anything? You and me, right? Of all creation, you and I were the only one that he said he was very pleased. He, he didn't create the donkeys in his image. He didn't create the mountains in his image. He created you and me in his image. And we should love what he loves. It's seen in 1 John chapter 4. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all, all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we, are not fully ex we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. See, God commands us to love one another, to love what he loves, to love what he sent his son to die for. So how can we love what God loves? How can we love each other? And you know, isn't that, isn't that where the struggle is? I mean, it's easy to say God loves me and, and to believe that. But it's another thing to say that God wants us to love other people. Because truthfully, I mean, look at us. We're not always lovable all the time, are we? I'm not. Are you? Matter of fact, I would not want y'all to ask my wife. What's the percentage of me being lovable and unlovable? Because I would say it's probably more unlovable than it should be lovable. So um, that's when you were supposed to say, no, that's not true, honey, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. But how do we love each other? Well, we got to first love each other completely. We got to love each other completely. First John 17 says it like this. I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed to you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. 
Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know, it, know that it came from you, and they believe you sent me. See, Jesus did everything and gave everything that God the Father commanded him to do. And that's what he's saying here in John 17 as he's praying in the garden. He says, everything that you wanted me to say, everything that you wanted me to do, I did. The way you wanted me to love, I gave it all. I gave it completely. I gave everything I have. I'm not holding anything back. And all the time, I'm going to, I love like you call me to love. And I believe that's how God wants us to love each other. All the time. Not holding anything back. Even when we get our toes stepped on. Even maybe when we get misunderstood. We should always completely allow God to love others through us. Not because we're good people, but because that's what God's people deserve. Right? I need to be loved all the time. Even when I'm, especially when I'm unlovable, I need that love from God. So it's not dependent upon what I do, it's dependent upon others' relationship with God. Jesus modeled that for us. We need to love others completely, but also unconditionally. You know, when Jesus sent out the 12 uh, disciples to go and to preach, he says this, Go and announce to them, the people, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have, what? Received. That God wants us to give this love completely unconditionally. There's no strings attached. Why? Because there were no strings attached when God loved us through someone, was there? No, his love for us was in spite. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He purposed to love us while we were unlovable, and he wants us to love unconditionally. Give it out freely. There's enough. You're never going to run out. You know, my, um, God taught me this on the mission trip, 412 trip, and I saw all of those people that had made messes of their lives. And it was easy to say, man, you made your bed lying it. That's not what they needed to hear. What do they need to hear? That even though I'm a mess up right now, God loves me. In spite of my mess up. You know, I had a little seven or eight year old girl who I don't really know, you know, very well, but she's my ex-son-in-law's uh, stepdaughter, come up to me and say, Mr. Bobby, do you mind if I call you Papa too? Now, I, my, I'm a little bit old school, and, you know, when you get divorced, you have this side and you have that side. You don't really connect. But when I saw her eyes, God told me, I got enough love for that little girl. That little girl didn't pick her situation, but she needs to be loved. She needs to be shown the love of God. And I said, absolutely. Y'all want to call me Papa? Call me Papa. You know what I mean? There's enough, there's enough love. And you know what's funny is, is children get this more than we do as adults. They get it. Man, those two boys, eight and five years old, they don't know a lot. As a matter of fact, they probably think they know more than they really do. But I tell you one thing, they know how to love. There's enough love. There's enough. We need to give it unconditionally with no limits and no restrictions. But not only that is, is we need to give it proactively. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 6 that the Father is always working. You know, no matter, he doesn't take a break. And we need to always be expecting opportunities to love others, to, for God to love others through us. We need to capitalize on those opportunities. 
By, well, how? By putting ourselves in position to allow God to love others through us. You know, God told Philip, just go down this road. Philip went down the road, and, and what happened? He saw an Ethiopian eunuch reading the scriptures. Now, he could have been clueless and said, oh, well, that's kind of interesting, and let the guy on down the road, but what did he do? He recognized that God is always at work and said, wait a minute, this is God's activity here. Let me just go beside there, and he went beside there, and what ultimately happened? God used him, Philip, to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to a relationship with him and eventually get baptized, Right? So we need to be expecting, if God is love and God says, I'll show the world that I'm true and I'm real by how you love one another, we should be anticipating opportunities to be used by him to love others. That, that to not close ourselves down to outsiders or to people. Now, I know I'm an extrovert. I used to not be, but I am. I will talk to anybody and everybody. I will talk to you on an elevator. Uh, I, I mean... If it was socially acceptable, I would probably talk to you in the bathroom, but you're not supposed to talk to people in the bathroom. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I just will. And so I know it's a, maybe a little bit easier for me, but when we've, been in, when we've been enamored by the love of God, we will want to share that love with other people and, and should open our spirits to allow God and expect God to love others through us. There's enough love. You're never going to run out. That love of God is endless. I love that song, The Love of God, It's a Hymn, and, and Brian's going to sing it uh, at the invitation, where it says, it reaches past the farthest stars and to the deepest part of hell. You'll never run out of the love of God. Give it unconditionally. Give it proactively, knowing that God wants to use you, but then also is give it sacrificially. In John 13, Jesus painted a beautiful picture when he washed the disciples' feet, did a very practical act for them, and he says, do you know what I did? You know, you call me master, rightfully so. You'll be blessed if you do what I do, what I have shown you. John 15 says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way as I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, loving, allowing God to love others, to love what he loves through us, is always going to cost you something. You know, God loved the world. What did it cost him? His only son. You know, and when you say that right there, I automatically know that my love is, is limited. Because I love y'all, but I also love that son of mine, and I would be hard-pressed to give him up. You know, that was what's so incredible about Abraham, being willing to sacrifice his son. It showed the love that he had for God. It is always, Jesus loved the Father and loved us. And what did it cost him? It cost him his earthly life. See, it's going to cost us maybe time or energy or money or comfort or maybe even the possibility of being misunderstood. But whatever the cost may be, it's worth it. You know, it was worth it for someone to pay that cost for you, right? And I started thinking about that. I don't know that I can completely understand the price that people paid to live the love of God in front of me for God to turn my heart to him because my heart was pretty hard. I mean, I, I, I pretty much can say I, I hated God and I hated people that talked about God. You know, both the Christie's brothers were independent fundamental, independent fundamental Baptist preachers and all they did was talk about God and I thought that is so completely hypocritical. There is no way someone can talk about God all the time. Guess I learned different. 
<laughs> you know, I guess I, I learned different. But the sacrifice that God, that people had to make in order for God to love me through them, you know, it was worth it. God, for all of those that gave sacrificially so that I could experience your love, thank you for that. But just like it was worth it for someone to sacrifice for you, it's worth it for us to sacrifice for them. Is it not? Is it not? Whatever the cost may be, it's worth it. Listen, and we'll close with this. Listen to the, these verses uh, of the hymn, The Love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his only son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints in the angel's song. Hallelujah! 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 The love of God must be manifest through us to a waiting and watching world. There's enough, but it's going to cost you something. But whatever price it's going to cost you, it is so worth it. Have you responded to the love of God? Have you realized the depth of your despair apart from a relationship with Him that you're helplessly and hopelessly bound for an eternity to be separated from Him? It starts with simply responding to that love of God. Maybe you have experienced that love of God, but you've been stingy with it. Or you've been distracted. Maybe stingy is too tough of a word. You've been distracted, and you've not lived on purpose knowing that God wants to love through you. There are people specific to your life that God can only touch through you. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to, whatever, to pay the price? As Brian comes and leads us, as June comes and plays, you have an opportunity to respond to God, to respond to that love, to realize that, you know what, that love that God has for me will, is enough to love anyone and everyone he puts in my path. And God, I'm willing to do it. Let's stand and let's respond to God as Brian leads us.